Well, for the third time, welcome, Machias family. How are you? So good to see you this morning. Um, just a quick thing. Jeff comes up and shares with you the Village Missionary of the Week. I also know from doing it myself and in talking with Karen and others and Charlie who do these things have done them, how much they appreciate your concern and your prayers. Had a conversation with another village missionary back in uh, the mid part of the country and he's really going through a hard time. And he said, the nearest village, other village missionary is about two hours away. And I, I feel so guilty. Um, we get together on uh, the first, second Tuesday of every month, usually up in um, Mount Vernon. And about eight or ten of us get together as village missionaries and former village missionaries. And I can't tell you how comforting and encouraging that is. But some of these guys don't have that. Um, so they really do covet your prayers. And so I know they appreciate it when they, they're brought up. They're, they're amazed when people like Jeff call them, actually, and, wow, um, I feel special. And it means a lot to them. Um, so uh, I, I am very, very grateful, even though I didn't really want to do this, to be your pastor. But I am also very grateful to be a village missions pastor. And that support is really invaluable. And so just to let you know, um, thank you. Carol and I are going to our first conference down in Cannon Beach. So pray for us this week that we won't have so much fun we don't want to return. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I'm sure we're just going to love it. But um, So I will be gone this week. Call me. I'll be available myself if you need anything. But um, thank you for the opportunity that you would send us. Uh, and we uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, so let's have the kids come up front. How's it going, guys? Good to see you. We, yeah, we had our last week of Kids Jam, so this is going to be my kid fix from here until we started again. So we only get to see you. It's been so good to get to know you guys a lot better. And this, these guys are amazing at Kids Jam. They're going to be up here next week demonstrating some of the God's Word that God has hidden in their heart. And they're going to come up and give you some of the scriptures that they've memorized. It's, it is totally amazing to see these guys go through that. Okay. This is you. It's a stick. Every one of these times you guys know I come up with stuff that isn't really what it is, but it's for a reason. This is a stick, and it's kind of like us when we're all alone. If we're all alone, as a stick. Yeah. Does anything ever hard happen in your life? Yeah. It does. I hate it when that happens. Okay, so... If let's just say you're going through a really tough time, even like in Kids Jam, wasn't it so cool when we could all get together? So when life kind of gets too hard, sometimes when we're all by ourselves and life puts a lot of stress on us, what's going to happen? Give it a, give it a try, Paxton. Bend that thing hard. Oh my goodness, what happened? It broke. Okay, and that's, you know what, that's just like Village Missions that gives us this big bunch of people to support us, and our church family gives us a big bunch of people to support us. We need that. We need that. So if this was you, if this was you, and life was hard, and you really needed people, and you know what the Bible tells us? I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells us. Ecclesiastes 4, remember what we talked about, the address of the verse. So Ecclesiastes is what? The book, right? The book. And 4, the chapter, and 12, the verse. So when we want to find something, we find the book of Ecclesiastes, we go to chapter 4, verse 12. So Ecclesiastes verse 12, chapter 4. Although a man by himself might be overpowered... 
Yeah. If I broke you in half, it would be bad. However, two can defend themselves better. But a cord of three cannot be easily broken. So we're going to say a cord of three, but you know what that three would equal? That would equal you, others, and God. So it was pretty easy. I bet you could break that, couldn't you? Can you try breaking it? And look, Zane's already breaking this one up into different pieces. Let's just say this is all of us together as a group Wrapped by God's Holy Spirit. Now give it a try. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, tough, huh? So before we splinter ourselves and hurt ourselves, you're not going to be able to do it. I don't think I could do it. But what's the point? The point is we're stronger together. And that's what God intends for us. When he saves us and brings us into the family of God, he doesn't want us to just be out on our own dealing with all of life's problems or needing advice or needing help or needing comfort. He says, I put you together in a family because that family together is strong and can overcome all kinds of forces, the forces of the world, the forces of the devil, even the temptations in our own life. Try to snap it. Can't do it. Start. All right. So what do we learn? We're better together, and God puts us together for a reason. And each one of you guys is individually precious and different. Remember the one girl that came to Kids Jam said, I am, what was it? Uniquely and beautifully made. It was so true. And each one of you is unique and beautiful and made by God, but together he put us together as a family so we could grow and we would be strong. All right, so I think today you guys get to go downstairs and have kids' church. Thanks so much for coming up. All right, I'm going to keep this out. In case I have to whack any of the unruly ones. Okay. You see, the title of the sermon Life is Hard. How many of you would disagree? If, if you do, I would love to examine your life, figure out what you did. But for most of us, life is hard. And because of that, God gave us a gift, and it's each other. We're going to see in this passage, I'm going to have Brian come up and read it here in a minute, how this passage gives us different examples. Almost in every single verse, there's some other thing that the body of God, that the family of God, the body of Christ, is intended to do for one another. And we're going to examine that. And I'm going to have you ask yourself two questions. And then I'm going to ask you the two questions in case you forgot to ask them yourselves. And I'm going to say this. Does this represent my family here at Machias? And does it represent me? We're going to ask ourselves. Because they're going to give us some good examples of why God places us together as a family. But we need to look at that. I'm going to tell you a quick story, and then I'm going to have Brian come up. There was a young man, first year of college. He'd saved up some money to go, and he, and he had a little bit of resources, and his parents were helping him pay. I went away to college, so I can relate. But he goes his first year, his first time being away from home, and he gets a little loose with his money. And he gets a little bit of partying, and he finds himself in the last quarter of the year, and he's out of money. And if, if he doesn't get enough money, he's going to have to drop out of school. And so he writes home to his parents, and he says, Dad, um, I, I, I've gone through all the money, and I, and, and I need you to help me. And his father says, okay, come on home. 
So he comes home and, and he tells his dad a little bit about, you know, why he got into the trouble. And they talk about maybe making some better decisions. And then the son is very hopeful and he's getting ready to go back. And he thinks, okay, dad's going to give me the money. But dad noticed when the son left that he left his Bible in his, his room at home, his bedroom at home. So he went and got the Bible and he went to his son, put his hand on his shoulder and he said, son, the answer to your problems is in here. Well, the kid was really bummed out, threw the Bible down, dad picked it up, put it in his car, and he drove off angry, and sure enough, he had to drop out of school. And he eventually worked his way back into uh, getting enough money to go the next year and catch up. But years later, he decided to return to the Lord, and so he started thumbing through his Bible, and out of it fell an envelope with a check for enough money for him to have finished his last quarter. And the tragedy of this is that his dad told him that the answer was in his Bible. And it was always there. And the resources were always there. The tragedy of it is he didn't take advantage of it. Here we are. The resources are here. Are we taking advantage of it? Are you investing yourself into the family of God, taking advantage of the gift that he gave us when he specifically brought all of you together with spiritual gifts for the edification of the entire body in this symbiotic relationship where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts because God has gifted each one of us with a body part that is necessary to function at maximum efficiency. Don't be the kid who leaves the Bible unopened and loses out on the gift because they just didn't take advantage. And that's really going to be the lesson for today. Well, we're going to hear about it. So come on up, Brian, and read our passage. We're going to have First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Hello? No. All right. It works. Okay. Uh, thank you, Pastor Tim. Thank you, the elders. And uh, thank you to my Amateur Church family for giving me the opportunity. So. so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were there with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love he has told us that you have always had pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distresses and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all of the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply you what is lacking in your faith. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. We're going to go through this verse by verse, and I think you're going to see what God has shown us in the church at Thessalonica and how they were functioning as a family, as a body. So let's first take a look at what the Bible says about the church as a body. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body 
in Christ and individual members one of another. And what that means there at the end is individual members one of another is that we all belong to one another. You actually belong to me and I belong to you when you join the body of Christ. And so the Bible tells us Christians aren't just saved. Now, they're saved individually. You don't get to borrow your grandparents' salvation or your parents' salvation or your brothers or sisters. God comes for you individually, but you are saved into the family of God as a gift and for a reason. And we are, just like the little kids that were up here, they're all individuals. But you could see as they were interacting in, in, in Kids Jam how, how they feed off one another. And, and in the same way, we, Machias Community Church, are a segment brought together by God with individual people, with individual gifts. But the gifts and the talents are resources that are mixed by God to accomplish the goal that he has for Machias Community Church as an organization to build God's kingdom right here, right here in Machias. You're here for a reason. It says every part of the body in 1 Corinthians, every part of the body is necessary. The, the foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. That would be ridiculous. Every single one of you has been brought here by God with a gift to accomplish the goal that he has set for us to build God's kingdom. We're here to help one another transition and transform. I've given you the four things that I think, I'll give them to you again, that I think God's given us to accomplish what he wants. First of all, his Holy Spirit. Second, his word. Third, each other. And fourth, trials. Each one of those things are here to help us be transformed after we've been saved into the image of Jesus. So we come here as a collection of believers to be transformed so that we, and equipped so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry that God intends for Machias Community Church. Not just for, in general, but for Machias Community Church. You're part of of a family. You're part of a body. So let's take a look and see the family part. Here in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that would be anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he gave you the right to become a child of God. And so not only did he give you the right, but he made you a child of God. And he gave you the right to do so. So you are a child in the family of God and God has directed you here, and I am so glad. I need you to do something for me quickly, and I know it's going to be kind of a, kind of a pain, but if would you would all stand up and raise your right hand, and now pat yourself on the back. Okay, now don't get a big fat head, but as I, you can sit back down. As I have gone through this passage and seen... What God intends his family, his body to look like and to function, I can recall I've been here 33 years and I have seen and am seeing on a daily basis you loving one another, you comforting one another, you serving one another sacrificially. Now, some of these sermons, and, and certainly as I put them together, are massively convicting to me. And some of them, I just look at them and say, oh, man, God, please, I, I'm stinking at this. But, but I look out on this one, and I want you to be encouraged. Not that we can't do better. Not that we can't do better. And I'm going to ask those questions. Is this Machias when we, when we talk about these things? And then ask it, is it me? Is it me? Now, we all have different gifts, but we all have been called to love and serve one another for God's glory, but for our good. Don't be this guy. Be this. It's up to you. You can sit out here. I dropped him. I dropped you, sorry, but it didn't hurt. You can sit out here. In this pew, in these, in, no longer pews, in these chairs, and be this guy. God wants you to be this. 
Some of it's your choice. So if you're holding back, don't. But I'm just telling you, from what I see, I am so encouraged by seeing you love one another. And we have some very recent and clear examples, which I'm going to share with you in a minute. But you are part of a family. And hopefully you feel that. You feel that love when you come in here. But part of being a family is also responsibilities. Hopefully, I don't know about the parenting styles of today, but in my day we had responsibilities and we had chores and everybody had a place and a part to play in the family. That's true here. God's given us resources, given you resources, gifts, and talents to serve the body of Christ where he puts you. And I am seeing that all the time. But it's for God's glory and our good. We find that serving others, even though it doesn't seem like it would be the place where joy is, it is. Don't rob yourself if you are. Okay, so let's start taking a look at some of the examples of how this is working. Okay, so in verse 1. Therefore, and we always have the what's the therefore, therefore, um, we're not going to go back. When we could bear it no longer, but basically what was going on is Paul had started the church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. He had gone up and around, from your side it's this way, up and around and gone through Thessalonica and he got thrown out of town for causing trouble according to the Jews. And so he left. He had come from Philippi and other places where he had been stoned and had all kinds of problems in the past, but he started this church, and as usual, the Jews didn't like what he was saying, so they threw him out of town, and so he went back around and down around the coast to Athens. And from Athens, it's going to say, he, he, was there, he was there at the church for three to six months, three to six months, and this church, which would come from a bunch of pagan rituals and idol worship, had actually received the gospel and had been so changed by it that they were making an impression on the entire known world and they were drawing some heat. And it says in here, we, we, we talked about last week, it, it's coming from their own countrymen. It isn't necessarily even the Jews, but Paul compared the persecution he received from the Jews to what they were receiving from their own people. But nonetheless, they were under fire for this new system of, of, of knowing God and becoming God's child that, that came from nowhere as far as they were concerned. And here comes a guy, and he's got this, he got this message, and only the Holy Spirit could have done that. I mean, here, the message probably, in human terms, didn't make a lot of sense. Probably like, what do you mean, love people more than me and all that? It doesn't make any sense, Paul. But the Holy Spirit got hold of him and changed their hearts, and changed their minds, and they started loving one another, and it was obvious, and there were massive changes going on in their body, and it was, it was just a wonderful thing to see, but they were in a really tough spot. And Paul loved them. After three to six months, he loved them. He loved them, and so we see it right here. Therefore, when we could stand it no longer, basically, I am just obsessed with you. I could stand it no more. I'm separated from you. I love you. But we felt it better, so we didn't cause you extra trouble. I'm going to stay here in Athens, but I'm going to send Timothy back. So we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Okay, so... As a body, do you miss me when I'm gone? I miss you. I do. I miss you. I miss it when I can't come and be together with you. And this really is my happy place. It is. And when I'm gone and, I, and, I, and whatever happens, and I, I, you know, sometimes vacation, but, but sometimes I just have to be other places. And in the past, not so much more now because you kind of expect me to be here. But um, so when, you're, when I'm gone, I miss you. Do you feel that? Do you feel that when, you, when, you're, when you're away from your forever family? I hope you do. I hope you've invested enough in this family that when, when you're away, I can just tell you, we miss you. We do. And I hope you miss us. Is that me? Is, is that you? Do I feel a sense of family Enough that I miss you when you're not here. Now, now I know we have other families. We have family families, right? Blood families. And, and I have a son that lives in the Tri-Cities, and, and I miss him. 
all the time. I miss him, you know, but, but I understand we can't, you know, he lives and works there and, and I can't see him all the time. So I recognize that sometimes we, we are separated from family, but the longing still exists. And frankly, it, it, it's, lose too much time. Um, every time I go to a village missions thing, my family just expands all the time, and I just love these guys, and I miss being, I got to go to a conference back uh, uh, up in, uh, well, at the, uh, the camp, mm, Warm Beach Camp. Anyway, it was uh, uh, a, a bunch of village missionaries, and then all of a sudden, my family got bigger, and everywhere, every time I would go to some other village missions church and preach, my family would get even bigger, and I would just, you know, I, I got to preach up there at, uh, at, um, Lake Taps, and then when I got to go down to Charlie's church there in Wishram, and I got to preach for like almost three months in a row, I couldn't hardly stand to leave those guys. And that's how God's family works. You know, we're part of a small branch of the family, but the family is big. But hopefully, we love each other enough that we miss being gone. And that's what Paul was. He'd spent three to six months with him, and he, he was worried. He was concerned. And so he sent Timothy his co-worker of the gospel in Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So let's take a look at what that means. Establish and exhort. Is this something the family is supposed to do for one another? The family of God. Uh, when he could stand it no longer, we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in the faith. Establish, with the sterizo in the Greek, means to strengthen and give resolve to. So he knew. He knew they were suffering. He knew they were going through tribulation. And so he sent Timothy to strengthen them and give them resolve when things are going bad. Do we do that? I think we do. We have, uh, I'm going to mention them a number of times today. The Riley family is really going through some hard times. But one of the things that I have seen and been so encouraged about is to see you coming alongside and loving on them when things in their, in their, in their life have been turned totally upside down. And then sometimes when we're out there, and maybe we're out there where we think we're alone, we need someone to come and strengthen us and say, have some resolve. Let me tell you, God's under in control. It's he, he loves you and he's working all things together for your good. And we need that when things are tough. Are we doing that? Are you doing that? Hopefully the answer to both questions is yes. Because that's one of the reasons why God puts us in this. Is that we need to be strengthened and have resolve when things are tough. It's I don't have to stand this alone. I have you. I could give you example after example of the different times in my life, times when Bob talked me down from the cliff so many times, times when we had gone through some really severe economic trials, I had lost my business, I'd been sued and everything had been taken from me, I couldn't pay my power bill and the power was turned off, my car was repossessed and I couldn't buy groceries and I was selling my blood. And I woke up one morning, and there were sacks of groceries on my front porch. And the church had paid my power bill and reconnected it, and Chris Emmer gave me a car. That was examples of the family coming together and giving resolve when times were bad. Is that us? I believe it is. Is it you? Hopefully the answer is yes. That's how the family and the body is supposed to function. To establish and exhort you, to exhort, to comfort and entreat, to call out, to provide comfort in trial. That is how this is supposed to work. And so Paul had sent Timothy, knowing that they were probably suffering, knowing that maybe they needed some resolve, knowing that maybe they needed some comfort. That's how the family works. Is it us? Is it you? Verse 3, 
so that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were there with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So that no one be moved at the beginning. That, that word there is see and or shaken or to lose your footing. So he knows that they are liable under pressure, under trial, to start doubting their faith. And so he sends Timothy, not just to comfort, not just to exhort, but to say, look, I'm here to make sure you're staying the course. I'll take a look and see if you're starting to drift away, if this is, this is really shaking your faith, I'm here to help. Do we do that? I believe we do. Are you doing that in the lives of others? When you see others' faith being shaken by something that's going on in their life and life has been turned upside down and none of it seems to make sense and Christianity just seemed too hard and it looks like the devil is winning and it looks like the world has gone crazy and you see that other Christian and they're just coming in and maybe they're downcast and I know Bob said, you know, people have come to him and talked to him and we have to be looking to provide that to others when they are going through their time because guess what? Your turn is coming when you're going to need that. And again, pat yourself on the back because I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in the lives of my family members and I'm so proud of you. But we need to be on the lookout for those that need that to be not shaken in their affliction so that we can come alongside and provide that support. So how about the next part? For you yourselves know that we were destined for this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer this. That's a service too, and I'm here to tell you. We talked about this last week. Life is hard. When your expectations are unrealistic or wrong, you're going to be discouraged more than you need to be. So we talked about it. We're talking about it now. We talked about it last week. Life is hard. You're going to have trials. And if you can't, what did we talk about last time? Two things you got to do. One, you have to recognize that being transformed into the image of Christ is the second most important thing you can ever be involved with. And in order to do that, trials are necessary so that we can go to this verse and make it true in your life. Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so you can be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. If you don't buy into the first one, this one's not going to work for you. So we're here doing what Paul was trying to do to tell them, look, I told you you were going to have persecution. I told you trials were coming. And it's okay if you have the correct perspective and your expectations line up with the promises in God's word, then you can have this, joy in trial. One of my jobs is to help you understand trials are coming. If you're not in one now, one's coming. It doesn't mean God's lost control. It doesn't mean that God hates you. It doesn't mean that God is angry with you. God is giving you the trial so that as a gift, you can be perfected in the transformation process so that you can be more like Jesus and have joy. That's one of my jobs. To help you see from the truth of Scripture that trials are a good thing, but mostly when it's yours, uh, <clears throat> not mine. Nonetheless, count it all joy. But first you have to recognize, yes, I'm willing to pay the price for the transformation, so God bring them on. That's one of our jobs as a body, to, to help us keep the correct perspective as we go through the landmines in our lives. It's very easy to be carried off by the trial and think that God is out of control or think that something is so haywire it's never going to be fixed. God is in control. He brings trials. He allows trials in your life because he loves you. And if you don't know that message, if you don't believe that message, dwell on it because it's true. And that's one of the ways the body's supposed to function, by keep helping us to keep 
the proper perspective based on the promises of God in Scripture. We all need it. There are times when it doesn't seem to make sense, and we need to go back to those, and sometimes we need other Christians to lead us back to the promises of God. Okay, so he said, look, this is all going to happen. For this reason, once again, he goes back in the next, and says, ah, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to learn how you were doing. I had so much concern for you that I was going to, I am moved by it. And I, and, I, and I need to come and see, I need to hear about you when I could stand it no longer for fear that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. So, so he's still, he's showing that mutual love and concern. When I could stand it no longer, I was uh, concerned that maybe you've been tempted away by your trials and the tempter would take away some of the progress that you're making in being transformed into the image of Christ. I couldn't stand it anymore, so I sent Timothy. One of the ways that the body is supposed to function is that we help turn back the believer in the midst of trial. And so when, when someone you can see is, is being tempted, now this one, this one requires some trust, right? Am I going to admit to you that I'm being tempted by stuff so that you can come alongside me and help me? I don't know. Hopefully. It takes some trust, and that's why God puts us together in a family. We can build that trust. We can be genuine with one another. We can be honest and can I do that? Can I really be honest? Can I really be genuine and say, gosh, I'm struggling. I'm being tempted by this thing and this trial is really distracting me. And can you come and help me so that I'm not carried away by this temptation? Do we help turn the believer back because we love them when they are drifting away due to trials? Do we reach out when the sheep wander? Or are we self-absorbed and uninvested in our family? Well, Paul said, look, I sent Timothy because I'm, I was afraid you were going to get carried back away from the true life, back to your old life. And so I, I knew that, the, that, that there's a temptation out there. I know that there is a tempter this, that, that, that we're facing opposition, like we talked about last week, from Satan, from the devil. That, you know, we're being... We're being opposed by the world. We're being opposed by our own sin nature. We're being opposed by Satan and his minions. And I, and I recognize he's out there and he has an agenda. And his agenda is to pull you away from the truth. So one of the aspects that, that God uses when he puts us together as a body is that we can see that in the lives of others. But it takes trust on both sides, doesn't it? For us to say, hey, I see you wandering away here. That hurts me. And out of love, I'm going to come maybe confront you with that. But it's because I love you. But I also have to be vulnerable enough in my own life to say, yeah, I'm willing to be genuine, to be open, and say, hey, guys, I'm struggling here. Okay. That's what the family does. That's what the body does. We gather around, and we bring you back. And according to the scripture, there's a blessing in that. It says in James 5, 19 and 20, My brothers, if any of you among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, like the body's supposed to, the family's supposed to, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now we won't get into that last part because it would take the rest of the day, but know this, there's a blessing for you and for them when you go get them and they wander off. Now, I always say this. I hate to say this because I'm probably going to regret it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I got this book when I went to VM candidate school. I probably spoke out of turn, and I said, this book is horrible, and I, and, and, I, and I think you should get rid of it, and I'm sorry you sent it to me. Because basically, it seemed to me like it was saying that the pastor was the only one who was responsible for doing this not true pastor is the under shepherd tasked by God to, to lead the family and, and maybe be up towards the head of the body but but we all have a part here 
and I think it was called the pastor is shepherd. And it's like, it's all on you. And if somebody's sinning, you need to go get them. And if they wander off, you got to go find them out and get them there. And, and you need to make, if they have a problem in their life, you need to be the one solving it. And I see village missionaries burning themselves up because they may have taken that to heart when in fact they are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and let the family function as a body and as a family. And I see it that you are doing this and it doesn't have to be just me. You guys are good at it because you love one another. And we've, we've seen it. I'm not going to go into any details, but we have seen some people who are kind of wandering off and people out of love come alongside them and say, Come back. Not good for you. And we miss you. So I'm going to tell you, that's this body. Now, I'm going to ask you, is it you? We all have this responsibility. We all have people in our lives that maybe we're the only one in this congregation that's close to them. And we see it. Ah, we're too timid. Or oh, they're going to think I'm judging them. Or, oh, I'm not perfect either. What if they accuse me of something? According to Scripture, it's not just my responsibility. It's yours too. I say, you get an A-plus on this one. But if it isn't you personally, ask yourself, why not? But you have to be looking again. You have to be invested in the lives of others in order to know what's going on in their life so that you can provide this as part of the body. But now that Timothy has come from us to you, or to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you've always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we long to see you in verse 6. So he brought the good news of their steady faith, their love for one another, and their mutual longing for one another. Do we have that? Are we steady in our faith? They were under great trial. Do we love one another? We are. And do we have a mutual longing? I hope we do. Because that's what families do. They were doing it. And again, I'm going to give you the thumbs up. I, I am so encouraged by seeing how you love one another. <clears throat> we're all built up when we come together. Our fellowship is productive and it's uplifting and Love is being shown in tangible ways, agape kind of love, self-sacrificial love for the benefit of the object being loved in a sacrificial way when I see you reaching out to one another, when I know it's costing you time and sometimes money and certainly some emotional wherewithal. And it's so encouraging. I thank you for that. So verses 7, 8, and 9. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? I am so in love with you, that when I see you doing well, it makes me feel joy. Hopefully that's how we live. Hopefully that's how we are. This is how a family is. We're going to see that at the very end, that when you are going through something and I see you standing steadfast, it encourages me. So I'm going to bring up the Riley family again. They're going through this terrible, terrible time where our sister Nadine has cancer and it's very serious. And pray for her, will you? This morning she, she had to go in to see if her blood count, white blood count was high enough to continue her chemotherapy. And they probably know the results by now and I don't know what they are. Um, but we're going to talk about how they got there in a minute. But I see her and Pat and I see the attitude and the testimony that her attitude has going through this. And it encourages me. And I have joy to see both how she's being loved on by you, but also the testimony that she has been giving everyone that sees her, that she has given this over to God. And she is hanging in there because she trusts her Savior. And that is an encouragement. That's what Paul is saying here. They are standing steadfast in their faith and it's an encouragement not only to him, but he said, everybody in the known world is hearing about you guys and how you're hanging in there in the midst of these horrible, horrible circumstances because you see the bigger picture. 
Nadine Riley sees the bigger picture. She feels the pain, as does her entire family, as does her church family. The pain does not go away. We hurt for them. But her testimony is strong, and her faith is a beacon of light. And I know that there are non-Christians out there that she knows, that know her, that are part of her extended family, that are being witnessed to every time she shows the hope that she has in the midst of this horrible trial. Praise God. Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face, that we see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We pray night and day. Are we praying for one another? <clears throat> we had gotten word. I'm not trying to make the Rileys the, the theme of this, but it's so clear. Nadine has to have a certain uh, white count level in order to get her chemo. She was down, it had to be at, uh, I think it's 1,000. She was down at 600, and so they would not give her chemo last, last week, last Monday. And so there was a booster shot that would boost her immune system and, and, and raise her blood count. It was 1,400 bucks, and the insurance company denied paying for it. The word went out to the family. People gathered in here in an evening and prayed for them. And the next day, the insurance company changed their mind. Are we praying for one another? Because that's what families do. And then we see God acting. And everybody's faith is encouraged when we can share the results. Now, we know that even when we don't get what we want, God's still answering the prayer. And he's still good. But he gave us this one as a boost to our faith when we brought this need to him and he solved it immediately. Are we praying for one another night and day? And he's praying that we can see them again and, but also this, so that we can supply what is lacking in your faith. And that is why we were here today. We're praying for you as church leaders so that we can supply what may be lacking in your faith. Not to say your faith is, is small, but we are all in this process of being transformed and growing and that is part of what the body does, that those more mature parts of the body are sharing what they have with the lesser mature parts. Not that we weren't all there at one point anyway, but when God has given you some things and you've matured, you're sharing that and mentoring it with others so that we can supply what is lacking in your faith. That's why we're coming together. That's why we do what we're doing right now. That's why we worship together. That's why we have small groups. Small group. Advertisement, gospel community groups, transition happens in community, God gives us a family, it's a big family right now, and so sometimes maybe we can't get as intimate or as, as honest as we can, but small groups, men's breakfast, gospel community groups, ladies Bible study, if you aren't involved in a small group, you aren't taking advantage of the money left in the envelope in the Bible to its fullest extent. Transition happens in community, and, and small groups are a, an amazing tool that God has. If you aren't involved in one, taste and see how good it is. I think you'll never go back. This is, this is the point, so that we can supply what's lacking in our faith. Hopefully that's a goal. That's the goal in transition, that, 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 that I'm lacking some things. I am not fully mature yet, and God has given me his family to help me get there. But only if we taste and see. Paul longed to be with him so that he could continue to help them in their process of being transformed and becoming more mature. That's part of what the family is supposed to do. Is it us? I think it is. You know, we have a heritage of knowing what you believe and why you believe it. I just heard, oh man, what was it? I think it was Ralph's. Yeah, Ralph Walters, when he was giving his testimony, he had gone to this church, and they, they were not preaching out of the Bible. They were not teaching out of the Bible. And even as a young Sunday school kid, he went to him and said, hey, aren't we going to talk about the Bible? It's not as common as you would think. 
that people come here and actually are fed the word of God. And that's part of what the family is supposed to be doing. That is God's greatest change agent. The power of his word administered by the Holy Spirit changes people's lives. But if you don't hear it, it's not happening. But one of the responsibilities of the family, and it again is not just me, is to take the knowledge that God has given you and mentor another Christian with it so that you can supply what's lacking in their faith. If God has given you something, share it with another Christian. If God has given you some insight in Scripture, share it with another Christian. But make sure it's insight from God. But I have seen, pat yourself on the back, people mentoring other people in this church over a long period of time. I was mentored by Bob. I've been able to mentor other men, and I have seen other guys coming alongside younger men, other women coming alongside other women, and mentoring them in Scripture to give them what is lacking in their faith. Because that's what people, that's what families do. That's what the body of Christ was designed to do. Together, all of us. So this is the deal. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. So that, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Once again, I think you guys are doing a great job. This is, how, this is what families do. I don't care if you get a blessing. I'm overjoyed to see you get it. I'm not jealous of it. I'm not thinking uh, or disappointed like, well, God, why didn't you give me that? No. True agape love for one another says, brother, when you're going through something, I hurt. I've seen that with the Rileys. I've seen you. I've seen your tears. I've seen the heartache when you see a sister and a brother suffering. And I've seen you... Travis, it's like we all climbed Mount Everest with you. When you were able to do that, you have given us, that's part of our family. That's what this is all about, people. Don't stay on the outside looking in. Come on in. This is what God intends for your life, to be a family member and function. Yes, there are responsibilities that come with it, but the blessings are amazing. you're not doing it now do it tomorrow let's pray dear father we are gifted by your son who paid our penalty and loved us enough to reconcile us back to God but we are also gifted by your family we want to thank you and praise you for the gift of the family of God as we receive its blessings every time we come together Lord help us take full advantage so we can be transformed into your image as efficiently as possible for our good and your glory, giving you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.